Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Wesson Walker back with the 2 o'clock hour. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. I asked during the break, right before it, who do you think I ranked as the 35th best Hornet of all time? Because they're celebrating their 35th anniversary. Yes, this is a list that I actually did. I actually put together the top 35 Charlotte Hornets of all time. The guest that came in on the text line, AC said Robert Reed and his Jerry Curl. No, I apologize. That is not right. But it's a great reference. Curl. Cowherd said Frank Kaminsky. No, Frank Kaminsky, spoiler alert, did not make the top 35 list. Hunter had a great one. Devontae Graham. It was really close. In fact, before I launched the list, Devontae Graham did see his name next to the number 35. So Hunter is the closest. But I eventually did not put Devontae Graham number 35. Bagel Guy said, Walker probably put P.J. Washington at 35 just to get that bum paid. Clown show. P.J. Washington, (laughs) you're right. I hope he does get paid, except I'm not calling him a bum whatsoever. 336 said, Boris Diaw. Yeah, Boris Diaw didn't make the list. Um, A lot of Hornets and Bobcats fans, not exactly the biggest fans of Boris Diaw during his time here. Maybe should make the list, but I'm trying to bring in some fan opinion. It's my list, but I am conscious of what the fan base feels on some of these players. So Boris Diaw, not exactly beloved here in the city of Charlotte, did not make top 35. My number 35, best Charlotte Hornet of all time, God Zeller, Cody Zeller. Coming in, barely making the list. Wow. Flying his face. No soundbite there? No. After every single name, I was waiting for the soundbite. You did a nice job. And you didn't even give me a buzz. uh, Building the drama. Yeah. And then, Fiddy, were you trying to play a soundbite or? No. I I, I mean, when you have nothing to say, you just play nothing. Okay. Got it. Um, Cody Zeller, look, man. Cody Zeller underrated with this team. He's a great screener. He's a great screener. Screen assists all day long. Awesome. Uh Uh-huh. But the fact that he's 35 and the fact that Devontae Graham almost made the list right. really just makes it known. Not a lot of great basketball players have come through Charlotte, man. Yeah, the list is hard. A couple of reasons <laughs> as to why the list is hard. One, if you were great, you most likely didn't play here more than three years. And if you were okay, then you might have played here long enough, but you're going to be atop the list because it's all about measuring longevity with with how great you were. Like Glenn Rice, clearly one of the best Charlotte Hornets of all time. Played here three seasons. Alonzo Mourning, clearly one of the best Charlotte Hornets of all time. Played here three seasons. So this is why it's tough. You're totally right. This is part of the joke. This is the shtick that comes with the joke of ranking the top 35 Hornets of all time. But I had to get Cody Zeller in there. Fourth most games played ever with the Charlotte Hornets slash Bobcats franchise. Dude was here for a long time. So, Cody Zeller, congratulations, you make the list. Where would you rank yourself for your career at Charlotte on an all-time Hornets list? Number one, of course. Got to go number one. So, so after Has you- anybody else done a top 30 or top 35 list? I don't know. I'm going to say no to that. <laughs> and if you haven't, then you come in How second. How long did that take you? Because I know that required arduous um, research. In 2018, when I was just launching my Locked On Hornets career, it took a long time. 
scared to death of the public opinion. Not anymore. Uh, I've become hardened. I'm not scared by anymore. social media. Opinion. Never scared. I have become hardened because of that. So no longer do I care nearly as much. But five years ago, Walker, yeah, I worked on that list. You know, a long time to make sure that I got the list right. Does Dougie B put one together too, or is it just you? No, he does. In fact, he's doing a sub list, the top 35 Hornets nicknames of all time. Wow. So the one that he listed today, you can go check it out on Lockdown Hornets. The one today was The Baconator from Dwayne Bacon, number 35. That's 35? I know. There's I know. 34 better nicknames than The Baconator. That's what I thought too. How about Jason Maxiel being honorable mention? The Baby Eater. Well, that kind of comes across a little yeah, creepy. I'm, I'm gonna Jason Maxiel. That one alone. <laughs> a little, little demonic. You said honorable mention? Yeah, is it time for the live wire? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> I apologize. Time now for the live wire on Wes and Walker. All right, guys, we've talked a lot about conference realignment and we're going to jump back into that right now because uh walker male's favorite college football coach and the man that has stolen willie peace heart eli drinkwitz he talked about conference realignment and the impact that it's having on the state of college sports my question is, did we count the cost? I'm not talking about a financial cost. I'm talking about, did we count the cost for the student-athletes involved in this decision? What cost is it to those student-athletes? We're talking about a football decision. They based off football. But what about softball and baseball who have to travel cross-country? Do we ask about the cost to them? Do we know what the number one indicator of, uh, of symptom of, or cause of mental health is? It's lack of rest and sleep. Traveling in those baseball, softball games, you know, those those people, they travel commercial. They get done playing at four. They got to go to the airport. They come back. It's three or four in the morning. They got to go to class. I mean, did we ask any of them? Are we going to look back? I, I don't worry at all about the game. The game is going to be strong. Football is going to be fine. We'll all figure it out. But did we consider the people that we are entrusted to? Did we consider the student athlete? We keep trying to limit what the student athlete can do, but then we act on our own. And uh, everybody's got their own reasons, um, uh, and I'm not questioning any of those. I'm saying as a collective group, have we asked ourselves, what's it going to cost the student athletes? Football be fine. Still, we count the cost of the collateral damage of everybody else. I don't know. I, only time will tell, but that is my biggest, like looking at it going 24 hours after, say, did we really think about that? I don't think we did. Um, I don't think we did. Uh, I guess I'll start this off by saying, is it okay to call somebody a stupid bastard on the radio? Is, is that okay? Um, go ahead. It seems like you're already down that road well, if you want to. For him to get up there and say that the number one indicator or symptom of mental health issues is lack of sleep, God almighty. It just goes back to my just thoughts of how people get into high positions and make all this money and stay and do some of the things that they do. As I've said before, my mom is a mental health advocate. I'm definitely all for it as well. I have gone to therapy for a number of years. And some of the most common causes when you just simply Google it is abuse, genetic factors, discrimination, grief, and trauma. Nowhere in there did they say sleep was the number one. Jesus. I mean, coming off of the heels of his comments about NIL and now this 
I would fire him immediately, taking the uh, normal protocols of one Josh Fitty Marlowe. I would get him up out of there. Yeah, this Fitty guy said some it. of the dumbest stuff ever. Just when I thought, all right, this is a pretty good comment from him talking about the students and the traveling and things of that nature. I, I could see where he's coming from. But then to add this into it was just completely asinine. And the words of Skip Bayless and the crew, as a 10, as a 12, as a 30. I mean, that was just completely and just an utter idiotic comment by Eli Drinkowitz, who might be the dumbest coach in the country, coach. And I don't like to normally insult guys like that. But when you get up there just saying some of the stuff that he said, uh, uh, the thing about the the doctors and that their players are making more than that and all that stuff and the responsibilities that they have, but never considering his own salary for what he does for a living. And now they're saying the number one indicator symptom or cause of mental health is lack of sleep. I, I um, yeah, yeah. I understand how that makes you feel. What about the sentiment of it, though? Because if he just would have refrained from trying to manufacture a statistic in what is the leading cause of mental health problems, the sentiment being we need to care about student athletes or really just the football players is what we can talk about within this specific instance of college football realignment. Does the sentiment that Eli Drinkwitz was trying to get across, does that hit home for you at all? Or are you just so flabbergasted by the comment earlier in that no, soundbite you didn't hear anything? Yeah, else? no, I, I said that what he said had a, a little bit of credit to it. But at the same time, man, they're kids. They like to travel. They like to do things. And yes, the stresses of school and travel and athletics can definitely definitely wear on you but just as far as the kids at the end of the day i know i would enjoy uh if i was a student athlete getting to travel across country see some places i haven't seen before and things of that nature is it going to be tough on them sure it is uh but at the end of the day this is where we're at in college sports it's not like they're going to have to travel every week across the country it will happen uh maybe every other week or once or twice a month so i don't think that's going to harm uh these kids in the grand scheme of things. So uh, it was a decent sentiment by him, but uh, I I think they'll be fine. All right, what's the next topic you have in the live wire, Fiddy? All right, so Wes talked about uh, SummerSlam this weekend, the the Paul Diaz fight. Well, there was a better fight that happened over the weekend, and that happened on the diamond where Jose Ramirez and Tim Anderson kind of threw hands at second base. Well, I've got you the play-by-play of the of of the fight courtesy of Tom Hamilton, the Guardians the Guardians radio voice. Ramirez on his way to second. Head first slide. Safe and in the score is Jimenez. And another hustle double. Right over the bag at first. Now Jose and Anderson square off. They're fighting. They're swinging. Down goes Anderson. Did y'all guys see the fight? I sure did. What did you think of it? Because some people are saying that Tim Anderson showed about as much fight in the actual fight as his team has shown on the the field (laughs) this year. Oh, no. At least he stepped up, though. Like, look. And got put down. Yeah, for sure. But he was ready for the fight. It's just that when that wild haymaker comes in from Jose Ramirez, the no look, the Steve Nash knockout. The no-looker, boom, Tim Anderson hits the ground hard. And that's ultimately what anybody is going to care about. Because when you watch this, if you know anything about Tim Anderson, okay, you know that he is not soft-spoken by any stretch of the imagination. Tim Anderson has always been one of my favorite players for the Chicago White Sox. He's always been very outspoken. And the fact that 
it didn't realize I didn't realize that it was going to escalate to that level. It happened so quick. Tim Anderson squared up in the wrong way, by the way, if you want some fighting. Like, he set up Southpaw. Did you see this? Where he's a right-handed guy, but he sets up with his right-handed front. So there's not going to be any load. It's only going to be jabs. Jose Ramirez, boom, he throws the, the haymaker. And that's what Tim Anderson, that's the reason he hits the ground. And it's the reason why he has to get helped off of the field. But not a good look for somebody that was ready to fight. The one that squared up immediately saying, hey, let's let's do this right yeah, here, right now. Yeah. And then five <laughs> seconds later, waking up from the diamond because he got put on the ground. Yeah, and I mean, it was phenomenal to see it. I mean, you don't really see baseball fights. It's normally a lot of pushing and shoving, which commenced after the fact. But to see somebody get dropped out there like that, thankfully he was okay, but it was still just a sight to see because it was something that you don't normally see when it comes to baseball fights. They've had some big ones over the years, but uh, yeah, man, he got caught with a wild punch and he took a seat. Well, this is the thing, too, with baseball. I know they have that reputation as well of not really wanting to fight. Football is usually the sport. Hockey, having fighting within the rules. But I can think back to at least a couple of baseball brawls where punches were thrown. I can think of Joey Bats and Roughnet Odor. We know the punches were thrown there. Remember Amir Garrett. What did I say? You want to say that first name again, bud? Because whenever I mispronounce a name... It, what is it? it? Roughnet is not his it's name? It's Roomned Odor. Are you sure? Oh, yes. Man. Yeah. I I watch baseball. Yeah, but you also <laughs> said Willie Stargle or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but that dude's like 87 years old. Yeah, you you also talked about a Giselle instead of a Gazelle. Okay. He's, he's right on Okay. Thank all right. you, Flounder in the background. Uh, Joey Bats and Odor. All right. So you had that one. Say the first name. I don't even know how to say it. I didn't Runet. hear what you guys said. Uh, keep Runed. Whatever. Can I move on? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to adore me. I, I think more so you do have an odor more than I adore you. It is O-D-O-R for you, 100%. You're Fitty Odor. That's what your name is. Anyways, we have other fights like Amir Garrett taking on a whole team. That's what I wanted to get to. I was just trying to take up for your sport that you love so much, but instead you had to continue to sit on Roughnet and Runet. Did you see all of Anderson's tweets? The cryptic tweet? I did see that. It didn't make a ton of sense, but... All right, let's fizzle out of here, okay? <laughs> we got one more segment to go before we get to the walk-off and talk about what we're watching. It's the top five returning ACC quarterbacks. Coming up next, Wesson Walker, flawless on a Monday, Sports Radio 92.7 <laughs> WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Final hour of the Wes and Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 
WFNZ text line open as always, 704-570-9610. Skip back into some college football, shall we? The ACC Digital Network. We have now started to produce the top five returning players at the different positions on the football field before we come behind that with the top 25 players for the 2023 season. So, Walker Mail, let's get this thing cracking, shall we? All right, let's go. Let's set you up. Top five ACC quarterbacks of all time, or not all time. This just is going returning up. quarterback the, for the 2023 season. The, the, I've got Charlotte Hornets still on my list. That's top <laughs> 35 Charlotte Hornets of all time, but instead it's the top five returning ACC QBs. Go ahead and hit 50. Uh, what will we got next coming up? Number five. What you got, Wes? Number five, Queen City's own Garrett Schrader from Syracuse last season. His 147.9 pass efficiency rating was ninth all time in the history of Syracuse football. And he was sixth in the ACC in terms of total yards per game and passing yards per game and also finished with 26 touchdowns responsible for. All right. So Garrett Schrader, local kid making an appearance here in the top five. Did you have an honorable mention that you were struggling with, whether Garrett Schrader should make this list or if somebody else should pass Garrett Schrader on the top five? Uh, No, we did not. I mean, he was, he he had the type of season, he kind of fell off towards the end of the season. So that kind of hurt him as well because the first seven, eight games or so, man, he was playing some really, really good football. So, no. All right, next up. Number four. All right, this one was a little bit of a prognostication. So if you want to talk about maybe tussling with a decision here, but we decided to go with a little bit of the potential. Cade Klubnick from Clemson at number four, the 2022 ACC Championship Game MVP. The stats, paltry, of course, because he didn't play a ton. Averaged around 84 total yards for TDR for him. So hopefully he'll put up much better numbers than that uh, for Clemson this season. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at some of these other QBs where if we're going to have any kind of debate, uh, this one seems pretty straightforward for top five. I think Garrett Schrader probably is that right guess, unless you wanted to truly try to sell me that Brennan Armstrong was going to have a year much more reminiscent of what he was two years ago. If you fully believe that, then I could see an argument for him being top five. But other than that, Garrett Schrader at number five and then Cade Klubnick with the potential that he has. If you think that he can tap into what made him one of the top prospects in all of college football, then I get each of these rankings, especially with the ceiling being pretty damn high for Cade Klubnick with his offensive coordinator, his new one, Garrett Riley down in Clemson. Now what's the next one, Fitty? Number three. Well, number three, I guess this is where things could kind of get off the rails, depending on who you root for. But Jordan Travis from Florida State at number three in 2022, he was the sixth highest rated FBS quarterback, according to Pro Football Focus, with a 91.7 offensive grade. He was fourth in the ACC in total yards per game, third in the ACC in passing yards per game, and he had 32 TDR. All right. So Jordan Travis, this is the first one where you could easily debate it because there's going to be a lot of other lists. In fact, I would guess most lists have Jordan Travis number two. Yes. And I know who's going to be number two on your list. Mm -hmm. Although honestly, he might be number one. He really might be. I know he was number one on a list that appeared at the end of last year's college football season, but move on. We can go to number two and then we can debate number three and number two. Go ahead. Number two. 
Well, number two, for those of you who listen to me, this is not much of a surprise, but uh, Riley Leonard is number two. Thought it might be Drake May. I uh, really did. The great fact on him, one of two. I know I, I had my one stat where he was one of three FBS quarterbacks, but he was also one of two FBS quarterbacks with 20-plus passing and 13-plus rushing touchdowns only. Riley Leonard and Bo Nix could say that they did that last season. He was third in the ACC in total yards per game, fourth in passing yards per game. He had 33 TDR on the season and led Duke to a 9-4 and four campaign. Yeah, the stats for Riley Leonard are obviously good. Jordan Travis is going to be mentioned as the number two quarterback in most ACC lists because he does play for Florida State. But you are right to point out that the stats for Jordan Travis, they're not phenomenal. The touchdown to interception ratio, very good for Jordan Travis at 24 and five. So did not turn the ball over a lot. But the rushing totals, they weren't there compared to Riley Leonard. You look at the passing, he only threw for over 300 yards once until you get to Georgia Tech at the midway point of the season. And he only threw for over 300 yards three times all season long. So statistically, Wes, you would have some backup. You would be able to go to what he accomplished last season and say, this is why I have Riley Leonard overall total numbers that he put up. And then even so, like with the strong finish against an Oklahoma defense, that isn't that good. Yeah, I, I can see why you put like, I don't think it's crazy. I don't think it's I crazy to put that. Riley and, Leonard and, at number two, especially with my love. Not as strong as yours, <laughs> but I still do like yeah. Riley Leonard quite a bit. Who's number one? Well, and number I'm, one. OK, well, we'll go ahead and go to number one. then. number one. I mean, come on now. We can do process of elimination. But Drake made the 2022 ACC play of the year. He led the ACC in total yards per game, passing yards per game, and had 45 touchdowns responsible for. All right, so Fiddy, if you had to do this list, you would have Drake May number one. Do you have any problem with Riley Leonard above Jordan Travis at number two, Travis at three, and then Garrett Schrader being number five with Cade Klubnick coming in number four? I I would have Travis above Leonard, but it's not it's not like by a wide gap. Like I mean, I, I've seen Travis. You know, he beat LSU week one. You know, led FSU to a 10-win season, but I think Leonard has a chance to, to to solidify himself as the second best quarterback in the conference if he leads Duke to an upset of Clemson to kick off the season like Wes has predicted. I I, I know that their their schedule is is tough as hell, um, so he's going to play in some marquee games. But I, I would just go with Travis, just by like you know one of the hairs on the top of my head, which is very thin. <laughs> <laughs> it's close. It's certainly close, but it's the rushing totals. I mean, Riley Leonard being a dual threat guy. But running, how much of that is the offense? Like, 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 look at Florida State's backs. They don't need Jordan Travis to run the ball. Oh, you got to be a good running quarterback to amass 700 yards. Yeah, though. and Duke also had four backs that went over 400 yards. So it's not like their running backs are slouches. But Riley Leonard was also explosive in that run game. When you look at those two uh, touchdowns, he had over 60 yards. The one long run against North Carolina and also against Boston College. So you'd be a fool not to use Riley Leonard and his running ability with what he showcased last Yeah, I mean, Jordan Travis had, what, 150, maybe two, I think it was actually 250, something like that, more passing yards than Riley Leonard had on the season. But the rushing total, that's where Riley Leonard was able to beat one, Jordan Travis. And you could also argue with all those playmakers that Jordan had compared to what Riley Leonard had, 
we certainly expected a more talented team, right? With Mike Norvell being an offensive-minded coach, we knew Florida State was heading in the right direction. We didn't expect them to maybe have as many wins as they did last year, but there's a, certainly that case to be made for Riley Leonard to be the second guy. Now, Wes, do you foresee Riley Leonard passing Drake May as the number one quarterback in the conference this season at any point? Ooh-wee. Okay, so <laughs> I know I did say with Drake May, I, I think from a talent perspective, for sure he's the most talented quarterback. I'm just wondering with that offensive line giving up what they gave up sack-wise last year near the bottom of the league in sacks, uh, surrendered. They gave up 40 of them. Then you talk about new receivers that he has to integrate as well. And can that run game end up supporting him uh, as much as they need to? But to answer your question, I'm just going to uh, I'm just going to go off the gut here. I'm going to say I think that Drake May can be able to stave him off because I think that, uh, you know, he's that talented. But. I, I would not be surprised. Like I said, Drake has a lot of new parts to move in that offensive line. It just gives me the vibes of uh, Sam Howe when he came back and everybody thought he was going to light the world up and he struggled through that last season because of offensive line play. Uh, no more big play receivers for him and lost that running game led by Javante Williams and the crew. So that's the only thing about Drake May that's just making me a little bit leery. All right, so that is the top five list. Drake May, number one. Riley Leonard, number two. Jordan Travis comes in at number three, Kate Klubnick number four, and to round out the top five for Wes's top five returning ACC QBs, Garrett Schrader, the local kid, coming in at number five. I'm sure you'll be updating that as you do every single week throughout the college football season, and we'll see if Riley Leonard can surpass Drake May as that number one ACC QB. All right, Wes, let's talk more college football expansion and college football realignment. How does everything that happened with the Pac-12, now it is the Pac-4 with a couple of teams going to the Big Ten, how does this all challenge what the ACC is going to have to do to try to retain their top schools? Even if Florida State had been playing like it, they want more money because more people are watching them, and yet they still have to have this distribution of money that isn't paying them like a top 15 viewed school in all of college football. What is the challenge for the ACC to try to keep this thing together? Well, the interesting part is we're going to find out a lot as we approach August 15th, because that is the deadline for a school to inform the ACC that they are leaving at the end of the 2023 athletic calendar. So that's going to be an interesting date to keep in mind. And they also said that one of the things that can get these schools out of the grant of rights that does not expire until 2036. An idea that has been going around is that a possible way for them to get out without being sued for breach of contract. The precedent for this was the termination of the late Mike Leach by Texas Tech, but the choice of law provision that says uh, provision in a contract allows the parties to agree that a particular state's laws will be used to interpret the agreement, even if they live in or the agreement is signed in a different state. So if any lawsuits filed by the ACC against a school who breaks the grant of rights are to be adjudicated, I know I sound like a lawyer right now, uh, in the school state, and they are at a they are a state institution, the school can claim sovereign immunity. What is that, Wes? Well, that refers to the fact that the government cannot be sued without its consent. So if the state government so chooses, they can extend the rights of sovereign immunity to the institution in question, preventing the ACC from suing the school for breaking the grant of rights. So for a school like a Clemson or Florida State or some of these, if their state's government 
says that uh, they find it in there that the ACC cannot sue them, grants them sovereign immunity, then they could be good to go. So that's going to be interesting to see uh, looking forward as we get close to that August 15th deadline and if these schools will try to exploit sovereign immunity to get out without being sued. Yeah, I mean, it's what's interesting to me is like I know Florida State wants out. They've been very public about that here recently. What's interesting, too, is that we go back to the Magnificent Seven that all banded together to try to figure out a different revenue distribution plan within the ACC. And now it doesn't seem that a Miami that was a part of the Magnificent Seven or a North Carolina, they're not as vocal as Florida State. Now, Clemson isn't either, but I know Clemson people are kind of eyeballing like, wait, you're one of the top performers here. How do you feel? And they might not be as vocal as Florida State and their president, Richard McCullough, at the same time. Does Clemson secretly feel, hey, we're actually top 10 viewed college football program in the country and we want to have a different revenue distribution plan? Because even if you have a distribution plan that does account for your on-field success, Florida State hadn't had a lot of on-field success until this past season. The one you go to before that, it was when they actually got to the championship they had 10 win seasons and then they had a five-year stretch where they went to a bowl game twice and that was barely only topping out at six and seven wins and that was after a couple of times you had to change the head coach and then finally mike norvell was able to steer the ship the right way and we expect a lot of people expect big things from florida state this season but here you are saying okay even if we haven't had a lot of the on-field success people are still watching us at a high rate Florida State presented numbers that show they bring 15% of the value to a TV deal, but they only get 7% of the revenue. Currently, each ACC school shares that equally. Florida State trying to tell you, no, we deserve more than that. Who cares if we haven't been very good on the field outside of this 10-win season that we just had? We're still drawing as much viewership as anybody when you go from 2014 to 2022. Clemson, the only one higher here recently, but in that stretch... There's nobody higher within the ACC. And so that is really the only thing that they can depend on. We bring in more viewership, and that's what we want the revenue distribution plan to entail. The problem is every other athletic director is saying, you guys signed this thing in 2016. Yeah. Like, you signed a deal just five, six years ago. I guess seven years now. That's crazy. But you signed a year back in 2016. But, Wes, what was interesting to me is you go back and you look at Florida State's record in 2016, they were coming off a pretty good season. Like, no, it wasn't their championship year, but they won 10 games. And then right after that, you had a five-year stretch where they weren't winning many games and that hurt the ACC. And now you're like, wait, if, if Florida State is, is getting back to being good again, now they're real chatty. And <laughs> now like, okay, we got 10 wins. We look like we're coming up. We got Jared Verse coming back. Jordan Travis looks like the best quarterback we've had in quite some time. You know about some of the skill players, Trey Benson, a monster at the running back position. And yeah, with college football realignment taking place in a very big way, we're really good. This is our time to pounce. The problem is, as you mentioned, it's going to be really hard to break away from this contract to the point where we might not see any change within the ACC until 10 years from now. If you're worried about the conference disbanding in a way that Florida State leaves and whoever else, 
it might happen, but I don't know if the sense of urgency is taking uh, – if you need to have it within the next couple of years, it might happen after the contract is done. Well, see, the thing is, too, people are talking about Clemson just quietly behind the scenes and how they're not happy with the revenue distribution. And like you said, these teams signed this agreement not long ago. But you know what happened? Clemson walked into a recruit's house and they said, look, Alabama's giving me 800000 to come there. What can you do? And then all of that changed everything. Like I said, yes, they're getting good money from the TV deal, but the fact that they want more, Clemson's saying, look, we got to compete with Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State for the best recruits in the country. And these guys are getting big bags. And I'm not saying this is the whole thing about it, but this definitely changed a lot of things for these programs where they want more money. The facility's already A+. plus. There's not much you could do at Clemson to improve what they've got. It is a dreamland for anybody. So to me, it comes down to we walked in the recruit's house. They said, listen, I got a big old bag from this school. And they kept hearing that over and over again. And they said, we need to get more Skrilla. Well, and, and you here you are talking about Clemson that's really quiet. I understand why you might have a little bit of fear that they are doing the same thing Florida State is, except they're doing it behind the scenes while Florida State is out in front of this right now. Because if you look, this is what one AD talked about within the ACC, or at least one uh, administrator, not athletic director. One ACC administrator had talked about how the ACC is already losing the PR battle with the Big 12. So that's a league with fewer signature programs, lower TV valuation, no standalone network, but they're being viewed as growing and stable while the ACC looks to be teetering. Florida State's public criticism only hurts that view, right? Florida State not helping the PR nature of the ACC. Well, if the F... if Florida State is planning to leave anyway, and they're asking for more money. And for these schools that under this contract, under this contract, earn equal pay. And then those schools are being asked to give some of that up to Florida State. Like, wait, you guys are about to leave and hurt the conference anyway. So why, if if we give you money and then you leave, then what does that do for us? No, I'm not going to sacrifice the amount of like, to me, the strategy doesn't seem very sound. It seems like Florida state is desperate. It does. Yep. And if they're desperate, then the ACC has the leverage because you do have this contract and it's going to be tough. There are ways to break from it, but it's going to be really tough for Florida state to do it where the ACC like, look, man, you've agreed to this thing for until 2036. That's enough time to try to close the revenue gap as much as we can. Yeah. It hurts that it looks like, you know, a lot of people are worried about there being just two super conferences with the SEC not looking to expand, but also the Big Ten. And here's the thing, too. Like, real quickly, if you want to do this by percentages on what schools are getting the most viewership, if Florida State is number one or number two within the ACC, you ain't going to be that in the SEC or the Big nope, Ten. Now, more money is coming your way anyway, and ultimately, that's probably what matters the most. It's not about the percentages, but in the Big Ten, you're going to be like fifth. In the SEC, you're going to be middle of the road. There's going to be that many teams that have more than you. So, yeah, I, Richard McCullough, Florida State's ploy on this, it certainly looks desperate, and I don't know if it's going to work out for him. All right, time for a Fitty Flash? Yep, let's do it. Let's go, Fitty. Fitty. 
right, guys. Bryce Young is not the only rookie that's going to start his preseason opener this weekend across the National Football League. So will C.J. Stroud down in Houston. He will start Thursday's preseason game against the Patriots. He's been splitting reps uh, with Davis Mills, but the last three practices, D'Amico Ryans has given him first-team reps, and so he will get the start on Thursday. When you look at, uh, at all the rookie quarterbacks between Young, Stroud, Richardson, and Levis, how many do you expect to start week one this NFL season? Three of the four. I agree. I think Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young all start for yep. their respective franchises. Will Levis being the guy out here. Yes. Yeah, if you're going to fall that far, nobody thought you were ready to start week one. Bryce Young, he's going to start week one already being QB1. I don't know who's going to take that job from C.J. Stroud, and they're all in on Anthony Richardson after drafting him fourth overall up in Indianapolis. Yeah. Totally agree with you, Wes. Those three guys start immediately. All right, well, when we come back, we close this thing down. This is the Wes and Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Pretty, pretty big guess, according to Smoke. Big time teaser for the Kyle Bailey Show. Kyle Bailey going to be back in the Planet Kia Studios in just a moment. They already put it out there. Rick Schnall, owner of the Charlotte Hornets, going to be stopping by. Steve Smith. Steve Smith also going to be hopping on. So a monster show for Kyle Bailey. Should be a good one. Stay tuned from 3 to 6 p.m. Now, we're also going to discuss what we've been watching here recently. Fiddy, you added this to the Wesson Walker walk-off. Is there something that you wanted to tell the people that you've been watching here recently more so than not? <laughs> oh, no. We've just been looking for a great way to end the show. It kind of had some alliteration, what we've been watching, Wesson Walker. I have been going through Breaking Bad. I'm in the early parts of season three. I just watched the part where uh, Skyler cheated on Walter. Spoiler. Uh, spoilers. Yeah, uh, tough th for this the show's what, like 15 years old? I don't give a damn about spoilers. Yeah, but if I spoiled season, the final season for you, that would hurt because you're watching it. Right yeah, now. well, I don't care about the other people. It's All about right. me. Yeah, 100%. Um, but the way that she tells him, and I can't say what she says, but the, the, the line she tells him is a top three line in the show because she just walks into the house mm -hmm. and looks oh, right at yeah. him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember this now. And I forgot God, about it. Oh, God, I'm trying to maybe because I, I just watched it Saturday. I don't think he was feeding the baby, but he was just kind of there. And she walks up to him and tells her what tells him what she did. It's awesome, man. And, you know, <laughs> I talk a lot about my love for my radio savant. That is Don LaGreca. He has already gone out on record saying this show is better than The Sopranos. A lot of people think that. And, I mean, I, and you, I'm starting to have the internal battle. Okay. Uh, people love Breaking Bad. 
people talk about it being the best show. I feel like the the answers I would hear most if I asked just simple and plain, what's the best show of all time? The answer I'd hear a lot more in return would be The Wire and Breaking Bad. And you'd get some Sopranos in there. You'd get some other shows. But I feel like those two shows would be mentioned above all else. Is that a decent take by me? Yeah, I think so. I think those would be the two. Anything that you're watching interesting out there, Wes? Uh, let's see. Interesting. I do like a lot of trash, and then I like a little substance. I just finished Too Hot to Handle about uh, oh, last wow. week. Oh, wow. Too Hot to Handle. You're great. watching. That is... Of all the trash shows, got to be at the top but of the But you heat. know what? I think that's one of the best dating shows. It does kind of get into the psyche, though, because, like I said, it takes promiscuous young people and kind of tries to mold them into having a more committed relationship-type vibe. So it's very interesting. I mean, not to mention the people on there, you already know, too hot to handle, so it's definitely self-explanatory. You're saying they're attractive is what you're saying. Yes, okay. definitely self-explanatory, but that... Uh, still watching <laughs> Swagger, going through that week by week on Apple TV. Uh, we've been in and out on Silo. Um, I've not heard about also that. also on Apple TV Plus. It's like a futuristic type of show. You recommend And then the it? last one, yeah, it's pretty good. All right. And then the last one I would drop will be, uh, we, we started watching a little bit late, but The Bear. Oh, I've not, people love The Bear, the too. Bear. Apparently the last episode, the last season it's, was phenomenal. It's pretty good. I'm trying to just get to the crux of what all this is about. Like, I get the gist of the show. And then, uh, you know, just to throw a little more trash in there, man, Love After Lockup, new season has started. So, uh, it's amazing. immersed in Love After Lockup. What's better, well. Too Hot to Handle or Love After Lockup? Oh, Lock Up? man, that's tough. Because Love After Lockup, man, it's like watching a train wreck. You know, you just... <laughs> You, you see it. You can't turn your eyes from it. The decisions these people make. I mean, it's one girl on it. Just for an example, she raps. But moving her and her kids to Atlanta to be with a guy she's never met. That's oh, coming no. home from prison. No. And she's got teenage daughters. And her whole family, who's also dated convicts in their past, are trying to warn her so she doesn't make the same mistakes that they did. Yeah. Um, fan guy Dave <laughs> and another number writing in. Uh, watch Better Call Saul if you haven't. I already did. I finished it not too long ago. It's crazy good. I got to finish so it. Good. I did start Breaking Bad and I went about five or six episodes in and never picked it back up. I'm Ow. going to put it on the joint it, and keep going. Better Call Saul is, is so good. You watched it, right? What? You said you watched Better Call Saul. You had a really no, strong no, reaction to it. He, he said he watched the first five or six episodes of Breaking Bad and stopped. Right. I, I don't get how. It, it's a little bit of a slow burn at first for people. Oh, I see. I disagree. Great like, shows like that are kind of always like that. They're slow burn. Like whenever I, I when, when Flounder and I went through Game of Thrones, I said it's going to take you about five episodes, but once you're hooked, you're hooked. Same thing with my roommate. I said by episode five, you'll be in. He tells me Breaking Bad, the first season's kind of kind of rough, but the second season it picks up. After the first episode, like I was ready to to keep watching. Th that's what I think. Maybe I, it edges out the Sopranos in my mind. Like I would I would carve out three hours of the Sopranos every day, then I'd be done and and I was okay. We watch Breaking Bad on Mondays. It's the long. It, it's longer than my my love life drought. Waiting for the next Monday to watch another episode of Breaking Bad. That's I'm how still you know upset you like with it. both of y'all. Neither one of y'all took the time after you said this summer you would watch Last Chance You and you haven't. Yeah, I apologize about that. Patrick in Huntersville said Temptation Island is the goat trash show on television. Have not seen it. Love Island is is my trash show. It premieres tonight. Okay. I'll watch that. Oh, don't forget Vanderpump. We share that together. I did. I did watch that. My girlfriend <laughs> wanted to roll through it as soon as there was the Tom Scandival thing. But 
but Vanderpump Rules, that is also one. The things that I'm watching right now, we can go back to sports if we want to. The Untold Series docs on Netflix. Yes, that for sure. They're starting to roll out. We're going to get Johnny Manziel soon. We're also going to get Swamp Kings about the Florida team that had Aaron Hernandez, Tim Tebow, Riley Cooper, Percy Harvin, Brandon Spikes, the Pouncey Twins. Crazy. All those guys being on one squad, and they're going to do a documentary about it. It's going to be phenomenal television. The last thing I said I was watching, the cookie reviews from Biff Pogey on social media. Okay. Those have been outstanding as well. <laughs> Did you see his latest one? I've not, and Biff, I'm going to start watching this. Biff Pogey put out a defensive tackle room cookie review. It was from Jersey Mike's. He gave it a 7-4. I don't know if I've had a Jersey Mike's cookie. Had Jersey Mike's I'm yesterday. Not. The sub is fire. I'm going to have to try Subway the cookie. Subway cookies though. are fire. They're yeah. so good. They're so good. <laughs> <laughs> It's my favorite thing that he does is be seduced by food, no matter what restaurant is being put out there. Last comment, Fiddy, before we I was just going to say, there was one time I was down in Daytona doing an event, and let's just say we had uh, partaked in the devil's lettuce and went on a subway ride. And the dude behind the counter could tell that I wanted some cookies. Okay. And he gave us 12 of them and didn't charge us, and they were the best 12 cookies of my life. All right, that's Fiddy admitting to that <laughs> on Wesley Walker before we <laughs> hand it off to Kyle Bailey. Coming up next, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.